Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast. I'm your host, Meg, and today we'll be sitting down for the second iteration of a continual series of discussions about how our vocabulary can drive our mental narrative and really impact our attitude across the board in life and performance. Today, we're sitting down with Mark England, who we have discussed previously the same topic with before. Uh, For those that don't know Mark, he is a TEDx speaker, one of the founders of Procabulary, an online training for changing narratives and changing perspectives for goal accomplishment, as well as a new company called Enlifted, in which they do the same thing, essentially, uh, but taking it more from the athlete perspective to help coaches help their athletes succeed in the mental game. Mark is also a world-class public speaking coach, and it's not hard to see why when you listen to him. He's incredibly poised and very specific in the verbiage that he chooses, and we'll see why that's important later in the podcast. As far as this particular episode, the first one we covered a lot of really what brought him to this work and how he's been able to make some significant changes in his own life and the lives of others that he coaches through the techniques that he teaches But in this particular episode, we'll be looking a little bit more at how we can drop self-deprecation, especially in moments of performance where we have to stay focused, in the gym being one of those times, and also how we can set sensible goals and really deconstruct broader goals into smaller chunks that are more achievable so that you can continue working towards an end state goal while also encountering those small successes on the way. I really enjoyed recording this podcast and I hope you enjoy listening. My name's Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. So let's let's jump in, Mark. I'm really excited to have you back. I feel like we had such a great conversation the last time, and there was so much there was so much more that we could have covered, but just as kind of an introduction for our new listeners or folks that might be picking up the podcast series kind of in the middle, can you give us a little background information on who you are and what you do? Sure. And thank you for having me back. Welcome back. Yes, yes, yes. So I am one of the co-founders of Procabulary and Enlifted. What those companies are, they are personal and professional development companies that focus on the stories that we tell ourselves and the words that we use on a day-to-day basis for better and for worse. And we created vocabulary for the general audience. Okay. Um, and then and lifted is for the fitness industry. I was an elementary school sports teacher before I got into the good attitude business. And that's when I first started making the, you know, it's an obvious connection once you, once you, once you see it, that, oh, wait a minute, there are ways for me to give directions, to give instructions, and the class flows well. There is order. There is progression. And there are other ways for me to use my language that cause misunderstandings and a, a, a lack of structure and essentially problems and conflict. And uh, we're still observing those tendencies 
and we've created a, a couple of businesses around them. I'm also a professional speaker. This is what I talk about. I've given over 500 talks on the power of our words and our stories, including a TEDx talk. I've been interviewed on over 100 podcasts. We're now certifying coaches to help people with their stories because there's a well, there's an issue going on, Meg. Got a little problem going on over here and over there, and that is due to a lack of education about what our words are actually doing to us. Most people use their language unconsciously to talk themselves out of opportunity. Most people's internal dialogue tears them down. Most people's language, unfortunately, works against them. And what we show people, what we went into, and I'm happy to go into it briefly or somewhat briefly in this podcast too, what we went into in detail in the last podcast is how, how people use their language in those ways and what, what their alternatives are. So we teach people, and it's very much an educational issue. Most people's education about their language, and when I say language, I mean internal dialogue and external dialogue, what they think and what they say, what they write. Okay, We show people to how to, how to use their language, what words to use more of so they talk themselves into opportunity. Okay, we, we show people how to use their language to build themselves up in their own mind so they, they can enjoy their lives. They can appreciate it when someone gives them a compliment. Okay? They can believe that their partner loves them. They allow themselves to be successful without burning the whole thing down, professionally speaking, also known as self-sabotage. There's, <laughs> here it is. There's a language to all that stuff. There are actual words that will keep me focused on worst-case scenarios. It'll keep me worrying. And we all know someone who's an Olympic-level worrier. My grandmother, she probably won gold medals in back-to-back-to-back Olympics about, about worrying. And she would tell us, oh, I worry about you so much. But why? Just, I seem to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, found it, I found it strange at the time. And once I learned a little bit more or a lot more about words and stories and identities, it got even weirder. I was like, I was like wait a minute. You're making pictures of bad things <laughs> happening to me and my sister and my mother and us having problems and, and just things going wrong. And then you're telling us that, so we should love you more. We should appreciate you doing that. That's like that's like a coach. That's a seriously. It's strange when you verbalize it right like that. It's a martyr mentality. Um, yeah, I'm going to suffer, and you're going to love me for it. There's a language to that, and there's also a language for how people create tremendous amounts of indecision in their life, also known as soft talk. Okay, we hear this all the time. Some people say it all the time. I think I might actually want to. You know, go back to school one day. If I think that, am I going to take any action? No, no, definitely not. If I, if no, if I, you've you've already decided you haven't, and you've already excused yourself from that with that language. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's easy for me to play small and just, just, just kick that can down the road. And if I say those exact that exact same thing with the exact same emphasis 
then I get off the hook tomorrow. Oh, goody, goody gumdrops. And then I can say the same, the same thing next week and then next month. And then it's been five years. And then, you know, uh, then I can throw a one day in there. Yeah. One day things will change for me. I'm not going to participate in the change at all, but you know, one day they'll change, uh, hopefully. Okay. And, and then there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there are language patterns. There are words that, that help me create victim and villain mental imagery in my mind, also known as projections. We've all met them. We've all met people that do that. And if someone's like really, really good at it in vocabulary, like behind the scenes, we call them blame throwers. They just blame all over the place. She never lets me think for myself. Mm, okay. He made me think we needed to get married. I had a client that said mm, that. Wow. She came in and she said flat out, my husband made me think we needed to get married. I said, wonderful. Write that down. What do you mean? Uh, write, write that down. That's sent- that sentence right there. He made me think we needed to get married. Yeah, that one's great. She wrote it down, had her verbalize it a couple of times. What do you see? What do you see when you say that? And this ties back into the part about education. So any podcast I've ever done, any presentation I've ever done, any coaching session I've ever done, any certification I've ever facilitated, any business I've – any, any, any uh, online training course we've made too, it all comes back to, down to education. Most people's education about their language, the words that they use comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. You know, I have a I have a degree in education, and I was also brought up in the public school system. Nothing on either sides of those coins. I didn't have one course, class, or even conversation about how my language was influencing my imagination, how I saw myself and other people. I didn't have any any information, any any kind of training about how my language influenced my emotional status for better and for worse, or my posture, mm-hmm. or my breathing. You know, if, if, if people can see this video, uh, you know, see that posture. Describe my posture, Meg. What did I just do? You are leaned forward with your chin kind of tucked into your chest, shoulders rolled forward, hands kind of protecting your your organs as though you're feel fearful or just generally lacking in confidence and not facing whatever's in front of you with with gusto. Exactly. If I stayed there, okay, well, there's a couple ways we could do that. That's a conversation. You know, that happens from a, a long-standing conversation. If someone tells themselves that, you know, you're worthless, no one will ever love you, you're not good enough, who do you think you are? And they keep repping that kind of thing, the body adapts to that. You know, what do you think tight shoulders are, tight jaw? I used to have the, like, rock-hard shoulders. I was so tense and tight in my jaw. My breathing was all trapped in my upper chest. Because I was in a I was in a stressed state. Here's another way of saying this: most people's language keeps them in an upregulated stress state, also known as sympathetic nervous system response. And when someone's in a stress response, their breathing is trapped in their upper chest, and it makes everything hard. When someone's breathing is chronic, when when they have created uh, their upper chest is home for their breathing, and it comes from micro stresses. Like I think a thought: he made me think we needed to get married, and I make the picture. Okay, back to the imagination. Of, and I asked her what, because we wrote that statement down. And I said, "What kind of? What do you? What, what in your imagination? What do you see?" 
uh, well, you know, he's, uh, he, you know, he's leaning over me and pointing his finger down at me. Okay. Okay. Perfect. How do you feel? Oh, it just gets me so mad. And her face was getting flush and her, like her shoulders were coming up and she was stressed. She was, she was breathing poorly. So when we talk about language, okay, in vocabulary or in enlifted or any conversation, we focus on four major things. When I make a statement, when I say something, when I think something, it influences my imagination. It absolutely influences my emotions and feelings. It influences my posture and it influences how I breathe. And most people tell themselves, you know, horror stories. They create Freddy Kruegers and Chucky's Chucky's in there with that big dagger coming after you. And you got, <laughs> you got Jason with the chainsaw or the, who did no, that was, he has the ax. Michael, with, Mike Myers. That, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, Godzilla, Sharknado. I watched the trailer <laughs> for Sharknado. It's crazy stuff people make movies. Yeah. It's, a, it's about tornadoes with sharks in them. I've specifically avoided watching that movie and i actually met the guy that plays so a little bit of a detour i met the guy that plays michael myers in the airport come on yeah it was in uh how did how that come out he was a really nice guy tyler main really really abnormally tall um which you know he kind of he's been in a number of movies that uh they specifically needed an actor that was, you know, big and tall to kind of fill that scary role. But, um, yeah, super nice guy. Just got to chatting with him at the bar. And I was like, oh, I'm Meg. What's your name? Tyler. Tyler Maine. I was like, hmm, you don't typically tell people your last name unless there's like maybe a little bit of an inkling that you might know who they are. So I definitely absolutely right. went to the bathroom and Googled him. And I'm like, oh, this guy's like low-key famous. It was awesome. So why, why are you dogging on Sharknado? I just, the absurdity, I just can't. I just can't. They've made three of them, Meg. They've made three of them. Apparently, one with someone sharks likes with it. multiple heads. Oh my Sharknado God. with with sharks with multiple heads. I just can't. I can't even. So <laughs> let me ask you this: You said a couple times that our language influences us, and I fully believe that. I also think that there is, you know, obviously there's a lot to do there with how you were raised and the influences that were injected into your brain as you were a young child, right? A sponge learning how to communicate sure. and be a human being. And so it seems like, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of senses of the word, you're fighting against, especially for those that, you know, have a perpetual habit of thinking negatively and manifesting bad things for themselves because of how they think. It's, it's an active conscious thing to become aware of that. And then to choose to work against it. And I also think it's interesting how you described it almost in a dichotomy as, you know, we use language, but really it can use us as well. Oh, yes. It's it's very much kind of a juxtaposition that, you know, you, you kind of have to actively choose to see it as a tool and put that tool in place or it will constantly dictate your state of mind for you. Most of the time when we use it unconsciously, it runs us over. Mm -hmm. It runs us over. The, this is what the victim mentality is, is based on. I'm 95, 96% sure we went into this in, your la in our last call. It's mm -hmm. worth revisiting. So in the vocabulary system, we call the subset 
of English, the English language that people use unconsciously to stress themselves out, to stare at those worst case scenarios, to create that indecision, to create that blame. It's called conflict language. Okay. And we shot a course, 21 day course. It was a, for us at the time, it was still, it was a major production and we, we wrapped it, sat down, looked at each other and said, we got to redo it because before, really? co- yep. We, so you've done core language upgrade, mm-hmm. right? I have. That was it's the second course. It's a, it's, it is, it's a very, it's a solid course. People swear by it because it, it, it works. That was the second, that was the second, that was 2.0, 1.0. Before conflict language was called conflict language, it was called victim mentality language, which we identified as too strong of a place to start the conversation. And it's accurate as far as the definition is concerned. So the definition of the victim mentality, it is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others. Even in the absence of clear evidence, the victim mentality, second statement, sentence, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. It depends, as in it has to have it, and it's habitual, which implies duration. And you're absolutely right that, let me say it this way, our language is an inheritance. We inherit the stories that our parents have told themselves about themselves. Okay, directly and indirectly. We our language is is an inheritance. We get more from our parents than our eye color. Oh, you sound just like your mother. There's truth to oh. that. Oh, that's such a that's such a doozy. Yeah, yeah. People love that. It, it it really plucks them in the nose because it rings true on some level. They hear if if it, they didn't hear their mother in their own tone, okay, or see their mother's actions reflected or replayed or revisited. You know, history does not repeat itself. It rhymes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's often said in a state of anger or oh, let me time. shame you for a thing that's similar between you and your parent and kind of in a lot of ways too, you know, those statements always bother me because it removes any credit I get for being an individual, even though I fully recognize I've been influenced by the people that raised me. Um, it really kind of, it's it's it feels like more of a jab because you're not given the option to be an autonomous person in that in that moment. Sure, it's also contextual. Very rarely does someone say you sound you sound just like your mother when things are fantastic. When, when it's positive, does something like, uh-huh. yeah, they just totally smash yep. something. You're acting just like your dad when it's the best of news when they they totally mm-hmm. they score the the hundred thousand dollar contract or mm-hmm. you know they finish the marathon. As wow. though you inherited the worst of everyone. Ex- yeah, Ex- exactly. Exactly. Man. And here's the good news, everybody. It, 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 a, a little bit of education that there's a game to be played here, a little bit of learning, uh, uh, goes a super long way when we start the conversation. And we can switch to goal setting at any point in time. Where I start the conversation, if I only have five minutes to talk to someone about their words and what to do a little less of and all the wonderful things that will happen if they just do a little bit less of this. It's soft talk. 
Okay, so here's the indecision part. Thinks. If you all are at home, please don't do this if you're driving. If, if you all are at home and you have a pen and a piece of paper, write these words down in letters five times the normal size of your handwriting. And I'll tell you why afterwards. Big letters, write this word down. Think. Big letters, write this word down. Guess. Big letters, write this word down. Maybe. Write down almost like. Write down could. Write down perhaps. Write down sort of. Write down one day, hope, and try. When someone writes something down, they remember uh, 30% more of it. When someone writes it down abnormally large, it gets our attention. Okay? Also known as activating our reticular activating system. If you have, everybody listening, if you have any interest in personal and professional development, Go on YouTube and watch a five-minute video about your reticular activating system. My car got stolen in August 2017. Okay, I was walking out to give a presentation, rehearsing in my head, and I walked to where my car was parked the night before, and it's gone. Was your immediate thought like, I, I clearly didn't park it where I thought I had? I, I, I would have loved to have... Uh, a, a, a video, a camera on my face, because my face. Oh my spread. god! It, it was like a, it was like the, the slow blinking. Like it was just it, a couple of misfires. <laughs> does not compute. Exactly. Yeah. Does not compute. And uh, uh, okay, pull out my phone. I call the police. Hello, police. My car got stolen. Okay, we're on our way. Then I call my dad. I said, Dad, my car got stolen. I need the farm truck. In 1985, my father purchased a Ford F-150, two tones of brown. We call it brown and browner. And he kept it mint condition, <laughs> drove it everywhere, and he kept it up, mint condition. It is parked 10 minutes away from where I am r currently, right now, under the canopy at the farm. And I took that car, truck, and I drove it to Richmond, and I drove around. And within a day... I started seeing more and more F-150s out on the road. Meg, have you ever had that experience? Yep. I, I drive a Mini. I see Minis everywhere. <laughs> it, it's, it's a common thing. You can, mm -hmm. you can just you – can, sometimes it's just an interesting car commercial, mm -hmm. and then you find that car more and more. That's because your reticular activating system has deemed something important. And whatever we focus on, it deems it important. And then it goes out on a search and edit mission. So because I am now driving this Ford F-150, Ford F-150s, 1985-ish versions, are important. Must find more. So I start locating more and more of these. I saw three in two city blocks. There's actually a lot in Richmond. Nobody knows that, though, except for the people that drive Ford F-150s. And while I'm searching for those, I'm editing out things that are not them. It's a heuristic, isn't it? It's a it's a brain tactic that it's kind of an evolutionary thing that 
keeps us on track so that we're not spending extra mental energy on things that we don't necessarily need or have to pay attention to. Because if we processed everything that we see in in that detailed way, it, it would just be impossible to function. Yes. Yes. And it's also completely indifferent. So uh, we can focus on trucks. We can also focus on uh, you know, the lack of opportunity out there. Mm-hmm. Or noth- nothing ever works out for me. Okay, let's say I've had a, I've, I've, uh, uh, you know, a couple of scenarios in life where I just, there, there, you know, there's some proof, man. Nothing ever works out for me. Now I've got that lens on. Now I've got that mm-hmm. lens on it, and it's going to, because my reticular activating system is engaged in searching for finding proof that things are, things don't work out for me. Or, um, you know, I'll, uh, uh, you ever met somebody who can't take a compliment? Yes. That their reticular activating system is because of that. And the language that they've used, the classic story of a good-looking woman who doesn't think she's good-looking. Or the classic story about a woman who weighs 94 pounds who thinks she's uh, obese. Mm-hmm. Okay, People can take this so far that because if someone thinks that they're fat, it, 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 everybody's involved in this. Guys at the gym, okay, I've lived out in Southern California on and off for a while. Sometimes when I need a place to go work out and I'm, I'm in the, uh, a mood for a little, well, not a little giggle, but just some entertainment, I'll, I'll go to Gold's Gym in oh, Venice Beach. Oh, man. What a – Yeah. There are dudes that are absolutely <laughs> massive in there. I mean massive in there and they wear as little clothing as possible well they want you to know they're massive mark they they no. here it is they want (laughs) them to know that they're massive yeah okay i am i am nothing compared to the the conversation that they're having with themselves about themselves okay and there is actually a dysmorphia it has a name i forgot the name when, as far as bodybuilders are concerned, they're huge, but they look in the mirror and they think they're small. Okay. Mm-hmm. Particular activating system. A girl is 110 pounds and super skinny and she looks in the mirror and thinks she's fat. Okay. Reticular activating system. Oh, you did a great job with the race today. That was awesome. You finished third. Yeah. But you know, in that, that, that corner, I just totally messed up and you know, I mean, I, I just, I, you know person that can't take the compliment okay and this stuff gets programmed through our language i had a client come in she sat down and she said she said i've got a problem with my face and it's affecting my marriage wow yep just straight out of her mouth as soon as she sat down i said oh, oh do tell and she says i know where it's coming from too when i when she was 10 years old she walks into her grandma's house and her her great aunt is there, and her great aunt leans down and gets in her face and goes, My, you have a big nose just like me. Man, talk about like being a professional trauma machine. Who like says those things to children and thinks it's a good idea? Holy shit. Excuse uh, my French. That's yeah, that's fine. Drop them. Wow. Uh, it happens frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Frequently. Um, the little girl locks up, gets tight, tense. Remember the whole stress response thing? Words. She goes into a stress response. She runs into the bathroom, 
looks in the mirror. Her nose is no bigger physically than it was three minutes ago. But now because she's focusing on it in a certain way, she thinks she's got this big honker on her face. And and so now when she gets compliments, she it, it she put those that lens on and compliments cannot couldn't get in. She just mm-hmm. wants more confirmation that her she's got a big nose, so she stares at her nose in the mirror. Yeah. I think they I mean, I think that bias is known as confirmation bias when you right. have a particular idea and you continue to look for more evidence to reinforce it. So let me let me ask you this, Mark. We spoke a little er- earlier about victim mentality. And you said that uh, there was a choice made to switch you know, among the group that everyone decided to use a different term because it's it's a little bold-faced and um, a bit difficult to swallow for some people, I imagine. You're absolutely es- right. Especially if, if, if we talk about or with folks who have gone through severe, legitimate traumas that, you know, for better, for, for whatever reason, are, you know, are stuck in people's minds and begin to shape how they see the world. Yep. Uh, with that said, you know, my, my question is, how do, you, how do you help someone get out of a victim mentality that has genuinely earned that victimhood? Um, you know, not to, you know, I hope we don't trigger anybody out there, but it's a genuine question. You know, people that are victims of sexual assault or robberies or th- things that are truly traumatizing, um, but then I'm sure end up having to cope with those traumas day to day, having that impact manifest itself in their language and their self-talk. Um, how do, how do you get around that? And secondary we don't, question. We don't, we don't get around it. We get into it. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to talk more about that. Also, I'm happy to listen. What is the secondary question? Sorry about that. Uh, that was good. My, I, I got lots of them turning up here. Uh, the second one is why is conflict so addictive? Why is self-conflict so addictive because I've fallen, you know, I've victimized myself. We all have. And, you know, why do we enjoy sitting in that place so much? Because we, I feel like when I get caught in that kind of feedback loop, I also tell myself, I know that the thoughts I'm having are, you know, not true or sure. are they're, they're counterproductive and I don't want to be this way. So how do we, how do we get stuck in that? And what, it, what satisfaction does it provide? It, what evolutionary need does it meet? for us to have pejorative conversations with ourselves. Got it. So the first question, there's two fantastic questions. So the first question is, what do we do with someone who has earned a, a status, a label of, of them being a victim? Mm-hmm. Earned is an opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if people's stories are personal, Mm-hmm. You know, we only ever work with someone who's like, hey, I need some help. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some people do not want to change. And you know what? That's totally their business. Some people look at their life and say, I can make some improvements. I would like some assistance here. I know I'm spinning myself in circles. Okay. And these things that have happened to me, uh, painful as they are, I want to transcend them. When someone approaches us, and maybe they maybe they say it that way, maybe they say it another way, mm-hmm. then there is a process of going through those stories, okay, in a very reliable, methodical way to help them downregulate their nervous system in context to what happened to them. 
Is that like a kind of separating, you know, the emotional piece of the story t- from like kind of stepping outside of the story a bit to, to disassemble it, it and yes. unpack it? Yes. Okay. Disassemble it, unpack it, slow it down, get them breathing better while they're verbalizing it. Okay, there's a four-step process. Most people do not write down the traumas that have happened to them. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's where we start. Write down the story conversationally. Step two, there's four parts. Step two, say it out loud. Okay, so what we're doing is we're externalizing an internal issue. Most people keep their, and this goes for goal setting. This goes for uh, uh, um, problematic stories. These stories, just we keep them in our mind, in our heads, and they're just looping. They just keep going and going and going, and they, they, essentially they can be infinite. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I pick up this, magic wand i'm holding up a pen everyone and i write down something that happened to me and and i write it out in three paragraphs now it's finite it's got a beginning it's got an ending and it's i have externalized it okay i've gained perspective because when it's in here it's just so in my face i write it down challenging as that may be and over the past 13 years that's how long i've been in this business i have worked with coached individually over 5,000 people and in that time, I've used this exact same protocol with everything from procrastination to war crimes and torture and everything in between. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, well, the damn thing works. Mm-hmm. Step two, say it out loud. Step three, say it out loud. Slow down your pace by about 70% speed because what we're now interested in, what we're now in the area of is getting their breath back down into their lower abdomen. As long as someone tells themselves a story, whether it's internally or externally, and their breathing is trapped in their, in their chest, it's going to be in their face, okay? Trap breathing, it locks in our perspective. It's known as amygdala hijack. Look that up. It's, ty- it's a psychological term, long-standing psychological term. And when someone slows down the story they're telling themselves, they're allowing themselves to breathe a little bit better. And as the breathing descends down into the abdomen, the, the picture that they're staring at goes off into the distance a little bit, also, literally breathing. Well, it creates, a, we do th- it creates a sympathetic res- or parasympathetic response, correct? So it exactly. helps to downkey the emotions that can color our language and reiterate a story that's not productive for us. Like there's so much that breathing techniques can manifest. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Step four is let's say there's three paragraphs to that story and four sentences in each paragraph. So that's 12 periods. At each ending punctuation mark, I stop. And I take a big breath in, okay? Smooth breath out. And what that does is it, again, down-regulates my nervous system so then I can change my opinion, okay? Because that's what traumas are laden with. They're uh, laden with, it is a, a very emotional, energetically charged experience. And then I stick my opinions in there about what that means about me. And until I loosen up the glue, 
known as my emotional response to that experience, it's going to be real hard for me to change those opinions. So some woman is assaulted and she decides, it's not fact, it's an opinion, I'll never be able to trust anyone again. Okay? Now, mm-hmm. is that is that, a, is that factual? Is that like on the, the periodic table of elements? That kind of factual? No, it's an opinion. It can be as real as a brick wall for someone, and yet people change their mind about things all the time, and we need to have, we need to gift ourselves the space to be able to do that. That's what this process is about. If you ever need a, a, a little bit of extra proof around this, next time you're around someone who's having a panic attack, try to have a conversation with them. They're bre- it's impossible. Their breathing is <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. You, nothing is going to go in yet. And then next time you get around someone who's a really good listener, pay attention to where they're breathing. Because it, it, we're, we're dealing with the mechanics of us as storytellers. I'm telling my story. I'm telling myself a story about that assault. I'm telling myself a story about that, that car, car uh, uh, stolen car. I'm telling myself a story about m- me winning the race. Every, it's, 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 there's a ton of opinion going on here. And the, the better that I breathe the better listener I am. The worse that I breathe, the worst li- the worse I am as a listener. Most people have gone out on a bad date at some point in time. You ever done that? And the person is yeah. all tense and tight and worried and insecure. And most people, if they've been on enough dates, they've gone out with someone who was present and there and having a good conversation. They were, they were asking good questions too, man. We had a really good time talking to each other. They were relaxed. Where were they breathing? They're breathing in their abdomen. Everything's everything's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a couple of parts to that conversation. It is impossible to help someone change that doesn't want help. Okay. And that's fine. That's their business. It's none of my business. Okay. If you mm-hmm. want the, if you if you like how things are going, even that great. That's your life. If you would like some some help with your story. Come on in. I feel like everything that you are describing, I keep coming up with these subsequent questions, but then I kind of think, well, I I have a feeling I know what Mark is going to say, and he's going to say, let's unpack that. And then once you do that work, the answers become a little more clear. For example, you know, going back to victim mentality and, you know, helping someone have a different story who wants a different story, but probably or may feel like they have earned a status and they have been wronged. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I, if I have been wronged, it is hard for me to see things more objectively, Mm -hmm. much like, you know, if my car was stolen, my first question to myself would not be, what could I have done differently so that my car would not be stolen? Because I don't want to take responsibility for it because someone wronged me. Right. And that's an emotional response. But if we sit down and write that out and pick it apart and do the techniques that you all teach people, you know, thousands and thousands of people, the story can be different in a way that gives me a little bit more power in 
what helps with that process to separate yourself from the emotional response and the, you know, the entitlement, the sense of entitlement for, you know, feeling a certain way is you have to step out of that personal space. Like you have to step outside of your identity and your ego in order to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I will, there's a lot of things that I have to say about this work and vocabulary. Uh, I will negation, acknowledge, I will never say it's easy. Okay. It's some of the most challenging stuff I've ever, uh, ever embarked upon, uh, which is unraveling my own addiction to my victim mentality. Mm -hmm. Because I was entrenched. I was bought in. I was hook, line, and sinker sold on the fact that there was something wrong with me and I was doomed to fail. Okay. And I had all the proof because I, I searched for it. I searched for the proof. And here's what got me is I looked down. I, I, I was so upset. I was a kickboxer in college. I wanted to go pro. I moved to Thailand, busted my knee up, had my second knee surgery over there. The whole thing stopped. It was my life. It was my identity. And it was also the band-aid for all my fears and insecurities about myself that I thought I dealt with in the ring, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> and I went, I moved over to Thailand with my girlfriend from college who was, uh, the best looking girl in school and arguably the most fun, gr- amazing. It just, uh, so funny and adventurous dude. And Yeah. I have a feeling, though, you're gonna. There's gonna be a butt in that one. You got the prettiest girl with the best personality. What could go wrong? Yeah, well, me. I was what went wrong. <laughs> we move yeah. over to we move over to Thailand, and uh, and you know I create this scenario for myself. It took me years to be able to acknowledge that. Oh, wait a minute! I flew over there and I took myself to practice, and I kept practicing even though I should have. I had an injured knee, and 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 um, you know that that I created that for me. Mm-hmm. which was accurate. And, you know, I'm, I'm six months out of a second knee surgery. I, I didn't laugh for a year. Think about that. Talk about our language influencing things. Your, our language influences our face. We've all met someone who's bitter. That didn't happen over a weekend. That's, those, that's, a, that's years and years and years of the same tone of conversation. Scowl. Scowl mm-hmm. And it just, it just turns their face rock solid. And guess where they're breathing? You all know. So anyway, we're in a bar. She w- she wants to start taking salsa lessons. And I'm not taking salsa lessons. I can't barely walk without a limp. And and so she would go to salsa lessons Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then we would go to this Cuban bar uh, called La Rueda, which is the wheel in Spanish. And uh, she'd go dance and I'd sit at the bar and drink. And I remember one night I'm at the bar, I'm probably seven, eight Heineken's deep, and I'm watching uh, news newsflash, Cuban girls love um, you know, voluptuous blonde American girls. I mean, that's just absolutely crazy talk. But uh, no one could have ever figured that out, but they do. <laughs> and so I'm watching them spinning her around on the dance floor, thinking, how can I get her out of here under his nose? Okay. No problem. I'm fine with that. You know, it's, that, that wasn't shocking to me. What was shocking to me is that I was cold to it. I didn't care. I was ice cold 
to this situation and to this person that I said that I loved. And I was like, dude, it just, it, it, it snapped me to attention. And I just saw it. I saw me 30 years of, of playing that same blame, doomed to fail loser story. I said anything but that. I'll take anything but that. What was so addictive about that, though? Like, what? Well, it's, there was, okay, you know a couple I mean? of like, things. Why do we enjoy that? Yeah, that's, that's a we don't really say we question. enjoy it, but. You've asked two Olympic gold medal level questions. Uh, uh, I'll take it. Yeah. That's the first award I've gotten this year. Thank yeah, you. That's great. It's great. <laughs> you know, people can get addicted to anything. Okay. People can get addicted to being successful. People can get addicted to failing. People can get addicted to adventure. People can get addicted to staying at home on the couch playing video games. We can get addicted to the news. We can get addicted to Funyuns. I mean, you, you name it. If we rep it mm-hmm. out enough, if we do enough repetition of whatever, we can – because we, we, we wire our brains. Um, once, once our brains are wired in a certain way, it's, sometimes it's an act of Congress to change that stuff. Now, having said that, okay, again, I'll never say procabulary is an easy practice. What I will definitively say, it is one of the most valuable things that you can do for yourself is to give yourself the ability to question your own stories. No one, I've never heard, Meg, I've never heard anyone say, I wish, I never wish I got that second opinion. I've never heard anybody say Mm -hmm. that. Have you? No. No. It's, it's getting a second opinion on our story. So that woman, he he made me think we needed to get married. If she says that or I say that or you say that, I'm screwed. I'm only ever going to get one picture, and it's going to look the same, and I'm going to feel the same, and it's going to uh, uh, influence me in the same way, and it's all constriction and and problems. And guess what? If I if I keep saying that about him, then I'm super likely to say it about someone in another situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I've trained myself to look for that or similar things. And so the second opinion, we what did we do? We had her write that statement down, and we took out the he and put in I. Say that out loud. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to. She. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't cater oh, it's to more than uncomfortable. the ego, it, it, which wants to be correct and be in the right all the time. It, now we're starting to answer the question, which is why we get addicted to this stuff. Okay? Ego. Because mm-hmm. e- ego. Ego is a big part of it. And then you throw in, um, you know, you, you add in, uh, you know, f- five, six, seven friends that all have the same story general story reinforce your story uh yeah now you're on a team now you've Mm -hmm. got a team of victims professional negativity oh buddy oh boy goody goody gumdrops mm -hmm. i i imagine that doing this repeatedly day in and day out for years and years and years that would be a beautiful process of deconstructing one's own ego for the better I can say I can say with confidence that you are a very confident individual um, and not knowing you very much outside of, you know, our conversations really at all uh, on podcasts. But um, you don't seem to have um, an ego about you or uh, a sense of self-entitlement. And I imagine that's probably because you spent years practicing, you know, taking yourself out of the position of 
um, feeding a, a, a feedback loop that is reinforcement for oneself that, you know, whatever my emotional opinion is, is the right thing. And I'm going to stick to it no matter what. I imagine that this process, practicing it over years and years, probably comes out with some really good personality changes for the individual. I mean, other than just, you know, good life changes, that it probably changes who you are in a pretty fundamental way, I would think. It does. It does. We are, we're on our third group of coaches. We're certifying coaches now. It's very exciting. It's one of my, it's my, one of my top two favorite things to do in this line of work is to teach people how to uh, solve other people's problems. So I do three things. I help people solve their own problems. I teach people how to help other people solve their own problems. And then I, I create, I turn people into monsters on stage. So I'm a professional speaking coach. So much fun. I only do three. Really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. That's yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's what I was doing right before this call. We're, um, uh, a client booked in for a coaching package for, to help her with her speeches. And she's already pretty good. And we're taking her from pretty good to uh, a presence. There are world people class. that are just she, if she, yeah. if she keeps going. Mm -hmm. She'll be world class. Anyone can learn to be a better speaker. Okay, and it's one of the best things that someone can do for their career, in my opinion. When I look at the, we'll circle back to to, to ego and and you know, the development of our characters and our identities. Uh, and I, I will I will speak generally and specifically about that, as far as myself is concerned, and other people and the process. When I look at any industry, the eighty percent of the top earners and influences are the people that get on stage and tell good stories, because that's what presentation skills is or are. Mm -hmm. That's what public speaking is. It's how how well can you tell a story, okay, on stage. And uh, the reality is, is that, that most people can tell a pretty good story on stage if they approach it correctly. Most people do not approach it correctly. Okay, I've seen people a whole lot smarter and more talented than me go down in flames, thinking because they are a university professor or they have a doctorate or they've been in this line of work for thirty plus years. I'll know what I I'll know what I'll say when I get up there. Uh, yeah. Or some it's, variation of kiss of death. Yeah. Kiss of death. It's very much, it seems like it involves a lot of theater. Oh, yeah. And it's not I necessarily reducing the person's credibility to be theatrical, but really, you know, it, storytelling is such an integral part of even our, our ancestral development. You know, people connect on that level. The people that... The people that can tell good stories generally get the better audiences. And I'm sure that there are a number of listeners that are, you know, in military circles that, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen people shaking in their boots, giving giving briefings to really important, you know, three and four star generals. Like, this is an outstanding resource for those people that need to, especially because their uniform and the rank they wear on their chest puts them in a position where they have to stand in front of really important people and sell essentially themselves, but their ideas. So it'd be incredibly useful. 100%. Uh, I'm happy to do a podcast, do another podcast on how to do that well. 
Absolutely. I, you're never going to hear me say no to a podcast. Let's just, let's be real cool. about it right now. Let's Very be cool. real about it. Very cool. So, uh, egos and things of that nature. Um, I, there's only so many ways I could piss myself off. Meg. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm know? interested to hear what they are. Yeah. They're specifically, they're, they're the projections, you know, they're the, they're the, it's, it's the stuff we've spoken about, the projections and the negations. The projections is, you know, she's, she, she, she needs to respect me more. Okay. Oh, no, well, <laughs> I need to respect me more. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know how to talk myself off a ledge. Okay. Uh, I, I know how, I know what it feels like. I can, I, I know what it feels like when I'm self-righteous. I know what it sounds like when I'm playing the blame game. Uh, because you spent know, so long recognizing long it in yourself. Look, working on it, looking mm-hmm. at it. And does that mean that I'm a uh, Teflon Don over here? Not at all. What that does mean is that 90% of the time, uh, uh, I'm, I'm cool, calm, and collected. Okay. And that's, that's a win. If I, if, if someone said, uh, you know, you're, this is how things are, this is exactly how you are for the rest of your life. I'd say, cool. I'm good. I'm good enough. I'm good enough to open my emails and answer my emails. I'm good enough to, uh, to book some clients. I'm good enough to get on podcasts and authentically speak about something that is I'm passionate about and I have experience about. I've, I've changed, I've changed my story. And if I can do it, there's nothing special about me. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Yep. And I've taken, so for the listeners, uh, I have actually done the online course for Procabulary and can say that it certainly helped me recognize some thought patterns that I have to some to some extent um, I already was kind of in the practice of trying to get better at being honest with myself just as a way of trying to get a better perspective on life and conflict and you know just general day-to-day peace of mind and more comfort in my own skin but I can say for sure that the vocabulary course is eye-opening in that most people don't look at their own language this hard. That's true. So with that said, what do we, how do we apply all this to goal setting? Because a lot of the context we've talked about already is sure. in the context of fix a problem that I have with myself. If, if we're looking to the, toward the future and things to be excited about because we have the confidence that it takes and we're, and we're giving ourselves the opportunity to do new things that are better for our lives. How do we, how do we apply this for goal setting for something that's happening in the future instead of a story in the past? Wonderful. Great transition. So what we have spoken about so far when applied or when some of it is applied will make moving forward will be it will make being able to look forward okay easier. And that's that's just that's such a gift, okay? And if, if it's easier to look forward, it's easier to take action and move a little bit forward. And a little bit goes a long way. Okay, now we can have the, the conversation about goal setting. Meg, who are you going to bet on? Okay, who are you going to bet on? 
Contestant A or Contestant B? Contestant A. I've got all these dreams. <laughs> okay. Contestant A. Contestant B. I have four specific goals for 2020. I, I knew before you even finished that, when, when you were done describing Contestant A, I'm like, nah, it's going to be B. I know it. <laughs> Anybody but A. Yeah. Yeah. For the A dream, even Why, just yeah. the word itself, dream, implies ethereal, unreal, imaginary, something that my subconscious have invented. You know what I mean? Unless, you know, unless you're one of those people that is actually at the Olympics and, you're, and saying to the interviewer after your stellar performance, oh, this is a dream come true. It's a dream come true. A, a dream is not a real thing. A, it, with substance, yes. I guess, is what I mean. Exactly. Substance. So here's, there's a, there's a very interesting number percentage. Well, I'll back into that. I'll speak for myself. I don't know if you ever did this, Meg. There were times in high school and college where I handed in a rough draft. I admit it. I admit it, folks. It's true. I would scribble something out the night before or maybe even the morning of and hand in a rough draft. And what kind of a grade would I get back when I handed in a rough draft? A C, a D, a C, uh, mostly Cs. Sometimes a D, sometimes a B. I might even squeak out a B sometimes. Oh, nice. On a, on a, on a rough draft. Cool. There were also other times when I handed in a second draft or a third draft. Let's just look at the, the third draft. So I write something out. It's an idea. It's a concept. And I circle back the next day. And I look at what I wrote, and I'm like, man, that's a little bit rough, hence the name. Tighten it up. Take this out. Polish this part up. Cool. Second draft. That's better. Feels better. It feels better when I look at it. It sounds better when I read it. Next day, I circle back. Write it down, write it out again. And now it's 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 clear, it's concise. I hand it in. Anytime I hand it in a, a third draft, almost all every single time, excuse me, I'd get a, an A or a B. Okay. Now, I, there were also times where I didn't hand anything at all. And what did I get? I got a big fat zero. Okay. Only 3% of the population has any written goals for their life. 3%. That means 97% of the population doesn't even have a draft to hand in. Yeah, that means... Would you put it that way? Wow. Wow We're is all right. Just feathers in the wind. Yeah. Kind of like it, Forrest Because it's all up here. Mm -hmm. it's all, they're all dreams. The one way that you turn a dream into a goal is writing it down. If it's written down, it's a goal. If it's in your head, it's a dream. Okay? Why and is that, though? And why is like it's writing so such a lost art anymore? People used to journal. People used to, I don't know. I guess you could blame it on the computer age and the internet, but. That's part of it. That is part of it for sure. Um and maybe that was more of a rhetorical question than anything else. But, you know, I look yeah, at myself I'm, I'm even and yeah, like I remember as a kid, you know, there was so much emphasis in school on cursive and there was so much pride in turning in a rel Beautiful a, a, words and attractive words, you know, that look nice on a piece of paper. And apparently most public schools aren't even teaching cursive anymore, but there's less and less 
the old art of sitting down with a pen and paper and writing it. So so when you say writing it, are we talking like just typing it out on a computer count or are we doing old fashioned Good question. Paper and pen. You're racking them up, Meg. Uh, computer, digital, good. Written for whatever reason is ideal. Okay? It makes it realer. And here's one of the reasons why, another reason why people don't write things down is that it's scary. Mm-hmm. It makes it real. Oh my God, I've said that. There's a there's a scary difference between solid talk and soft talk. You know, I think I'm drinking too much. If I take out the think and I say that again, now I have called myself out and I have to make a change. I have to take some action. I, I should probably spend more time with the kids. If I take out the should and the probably, you know, I need to spend more time with the kids. Now I have to spend more time with the kids. Okay. Um, I, I guess I'm drinking a little too much coffee. <laughs> take out the guess. Same thing with writing things down. Uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a a night and day difference between thinking about getting a master's degree and writing down I'm getting my master's degree. Okay, it takes it takes courage. It takes courage to do that. But you know what? Turns out that it also takes courage to not do that. It takes courage to be mediocre. It takes courage to you know, sit on the sidelines because the eventuality is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a saying, okay. I, I, myself, me personally, marking one, I have made uh, a, a ton of mistakes. Okay. I've also had a lot of wins and I would rather get trampled in the stadium than be a spectator in the stands. I'm say that twice. I'd rather, and this is true. I'd rather get trampled in the stadium than spectate in the stands. Okay. And one way that we go from spectating to participating, I gave a TEDx talk on this. Okay. Is by becoming more conscious and clear and focused and constructive and reflective with our language. It's going to highlight all the boogeymen and all the boogie women. Okay. Writing things down and going for them. Okay, we're gonna, we, I've got a lot more to say about goal setting. That highlights my fears of failure. Okay, it highlights, uh, you know, my 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 lack in, of belief in myself. All the questions: Am I good enough? Okay, all those. It brings all those things to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it also energizes the hell out of people. Okay, because it gets exciting. That, that's adventurous. Okay, people can. That is that is talk about words. That's a that's a word that most people are deficient in, in their language and in their life. Adventure. Okay, it's it. You're going on an adventure when you write down. I'm getting my master's degree in international education, and it will either be through this, 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 or this university. There's a 20% chance I'll do it online, 80% chance I'll do it physically, and I'm going to apply to each one of those colleges, universities, uh, by the end of this month. I write that down, and now it's on. 
It almost it almost sounds like the act of doing this is it forces you to play the reality out in your head in a way that be, that becomes exciting when you're setting this goal. And so instead of saying it's a dream to get my master's and saying I will get my master's and writing it down is is a form of we do people do this in sports psychology all the time, visualization. Yeah. Visualization is such a useful tool to help athletes, whatever, get the heavier back squat, run, you know, the three, the 5K in a certain amount of time, whatever the case may be. The visualization reinforces that reality. It's free reps of reality in your head in the direction of making that thing manifest. Yes. Visualization is, is, is very powerful, okay, for athletes. It's very powerful for everybody. Most people just visualize uh, um, you know, catastrophe. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do some reps of catastrophe. <laughs> what? How what, many ways? What could go wrong? How many ways can I unnecessarily freak out today? Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna get some reps in of of people taking advantage of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll that'll go a long way. And when when people write things down, that because writing things down, when I when I think goal setting focus is synonymous with goal setting i am pointing my focus i'm getting crystal clear in my imagination about something that i want to do or that i can do or that i could do or that i will do pick your word okay and the act of me writing it down increases the likelihood that it will happen by a thousand percent i'll roll dice on that and here's how it's done, everybody. You want to write it down conversationally, as in a sentence, as in I could read verbatim what's on paper to someone, and it would be a, it would be a, a, an actual, full, understandable, decipherable statement. Because there's a big difference between lose 20 pounds and I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay? Um and you you want it to be in the affirmative which that was i want to lose 20 pounds is in the is stated in the affirmative you're stating what you want um so a, a, an example of of writing something in in, in negation would be uh, i don't want to be so insecure uh, uh anymore well that's what you don't want So can we pick that apart just a little bit? Why, for the audience, why is that a negation? Because to most, that would sound like a reasonable or decent goal. Like, okay, I'm firmly saying I don't want this thing to be the case anymore. Why is that no good? Back to the visualization conversation. You're you're practicing staring at what you don't want. Okay. You know, I I don't want to spend all my money this weekend. What, What did you just make a picture of? Spending all the money this week. Spending all the money this week. Meg, I don't want to argue with you so much. There's a picture of us arguing. Okay? I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't want to get up on stage and choke. <laughs> That's the worst visualization ever. It's a great way to choke in your presentation. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're, you're actually practicing it. Because when mm-hmm. I make that picture, I tighten up. And my breathing, I get a little bit more nervous. And if I do that 20, 30, 40 times before I go on stage, 
three hours leading up to it, then I'm already in that upregulated tight state, tight space. And on the presentation conversation, you know, there's there's basically three flavors of pres- presenters. There's insecure, there's confident, and there's comfortable. Okay, you definitely want to go for comfortable, com- being comfortable. Okay. And that also comes along when someone's comfortable on stage, they're enjoying themselves. They're having fun. They're breathing well. When someone's breathing abdominally and they're delivering a presentation, everyone in the audience enjoys it. Okay? They're pros. That is, that is pro-level presenting. It is amateur hour when someone is up there for a variety of reasons. They're, they bought into a limiting story about themselves and they're super unprepared and they're, they're, their breathing is trapped in their chest and they're, they, they can get four or five words out and they have to take another breath and, and, then, it, and then everybody in, out in the audience tightens up too. That's not fun. That hurts. Okay? Yeah, so you know, we want to we visualize what we want to visualize. As in, what do you want? If you don't want to spend all your money, I'm, I'm okay. I, 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 I can, I can spend a hundred dollars this this weekend. There's a big difference in that in my mental imagery than not spend all my money. Okay, uh, I don't want to be so insecure when I go out on dates. Okay, cool. I want to be present, witty, and and um, devilishly charming. And dev- whatever. That's what I want. Okay, I don't want to choke on stage. I, I want to enjoy. I want to be comfortable on stage. I want to own the stage. I want to deliver a fantastic presentation. I want to shine up there. Just hearing you say that is exciting. I can visualize that person on the stage crushing it. Crushing it. Crushing Powerful stuff. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's real. When when we got the call from TEDx RVA, which is it's a it's a it's a legit organization what they did six years five or six years it was when they were producing uh events they were top 10 tedx's in the world out of 5,000 they they were a bunch of ninjas okay i'm from richmond i know them and when we got the call so up up until that date the most people i presented in front of was 400 this is now 1800 in richmond my hometown in the most prestigious theater in Richmond, on the red dot, it's recorded. It's TEDx. Oh, and it's broadcasted to roughly 160,000 people who are watching virtually live. No, no pressure whatsoever. Oh no, right? and it's even better. I'm a professional speaker, and everybody knows it. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, see how you do. Yeah. And so I looked at that, and I'm like, okay. I took out the crowds. I took out the pressure. I took out the everything. And I said, what do I want? I want to give a great talk. Yeah. I want to be confident? No, you don't, huh? Because I was looking at it, and and you know, insecure is like this. Confident is like this. Okay, I'm still stressed though. I'm not breathing well. It's like I don't want to be confident. I want to be comfortable. Ooh, what does that mean? Where will I be breathing if I'm comfortable? I'll be breathing in my abdomen. Okay, that's what I want. That's what I'm going for. And so part of my process of learning and rehearsing that talk was breathing well okay don't be confident when you go out on a date with someone be comfortable watch what happens that's an interesting concept now that i think about it because you've put it that way 
the word confidence, while it's generally positive, can it also elicits a bit of a it implies that there is a state of non-confidence, right? Yeah. But com- yeah. comfortable is just the pinnacle of I belong here, I belong doing what I'm doing. Really, in my opinion, that's what people want from personal and professional development. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they want to feel comfortable in their skin. Yes. Yeah, that's that's really true. And, and visualizing, again, those folks that have a hard time presenting and standing up in front of big crowds to brief – yeah, I, I think that's that's a win for a number of reasons. But really, it's you've bought into yourself when you're comfortable. You've you've bought your own fish oil, for lack of a better word, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And and then then people can it, it it's it's for all the right reasons. It's very disarming too. Mm-hmm. And and people can listen to people. Are, I've already said it. When people are breathing well, they're better listeners. Okay. And if, if I'm breathing well and they're breathing well, then we can hear each other. Cool. Let's tell some good stories or let's sell something. Okay. This, this, we have, we have a, a, a very interesting things to say to sales teams. Okay. We go in there and we start talking about breathing right out the bat, right off the bat. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. That's why, that's why we're having this conversation, Meg. Because in 2016, I said, I have something to say to the functional fitness industry, okay? And that is that there is a direct correlation between what we think and say and how well we breathe. And if my self-talk is stagnating, trapping my breath before a workout or a competition, then I am burning extra fuel, okay? I'm limiting my, my output. I'm sabotaging the machine. And so I get on Barbell Shrugged, okay, which we just did another show. Okay, have to yeah, check it out. Yeah, it drops on Wednesday. Awesome. I'm going to yeah, check we did it out. It, we did it at, up at the Spartan Race two and a half years after the first one dropped. The first one, we recorded it January 20th, 2017. We recorded this one um, October, no, it was, it was like six, September 28th, 2019. And, uh, and yeah, I got on there and I talked about words. It's the only thing I talk about. So, you know, back to the affirmation, why do people want to speak in affirmation? First thing my driving teacher taught me when I got in the car, he said, look where you want to go. Cause you're probably going to go there. Same thing with us. Okay. Focus on what you want. Know what you don't want. Okay. I don't need to tell myself what I don't want 50 times a day to know that I don't want that anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Know, yeah. It's totally true. It's totally true. And once we've identified the target, this is a big, big deal too. So let's say it is a master's degree or you want to run a triathlon. Okay. I want to run a triathlon. Perfect. Let's add in some numbers. When? What year? 20, 2020? Cool. 2020. Summer of 2020. I got seven months. Write that down. I want to run a triathlon in the summer of 2020. Cool. Now, what you want to do is once you it, – it's, it's, it's like 3%, 97%, 2%, 98%. What, it, you want to look at the 
the big picture goal rarely. Okay. And you want to focus on the process of what you need to do, the day-to-day, the week-to-week uh, 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 tasks, requirements. You want to spend 97% of your pro- time doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on that. Here's an example. This is, this is, this is a good example. The last goal-setting workshop, so we give – we have a kick-ass three-hour goal-setting workshops that we do. And uh, I'm given one, and a guy raises his hand, and I, I said, what do you want? And he goes, I, 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 I want to get a little bit better at work. Okay? And I said, okay, uh, take, out a, take out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to get better at work. And I said, what do you need to do to get better at work? I guess I should read some more books. Okay? Take out the guess. I should read some more books. Books of what nature? And he identified the industry he was in. And I said, okay, so we're talking about big picture to small actionable steps. Um, what's, what's more books? Are you reading any right now? No. Okay. Well, what would more look like? And he, he just Sometimes you got to get creative for your clients. I'm like, how about once a, one a month? Can you read one book a month for the rest of the year? He goes, uh, yeah, I, I could probably do that. You, you, you probably could or you will or you want to or you can. Pick your word. He goes, I, I can. I, 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 I can. I can. And what would happen if you did? Oh, well, you know, I'd feel a lot better about this and that and this other thing. I'm like, okay, cool. You Do you have your phone on you? Yeah, sure. Get it out. Huh? Get out your phone. He gets out his phone. This is in the middle of a seminar. Get on Amazon, buy that book. Exactly. Get on Amazon. (laughs) The dude got on Amazon and bought five books, one for each month of the rest of the year. And so let's look at that. That that guy went from a dream to a goal, taking action in about four minutes. In about four or four and a half minutes, he had five books on the way. He where did he start? I want to get a little bit better at work. What if he had just kept that inside? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What if he had just? What if he had said that to himself next week, and then the next week? Same old, same old. He said it out loud. We worked through the language, tightened it up, focused down on what he, what a, a reliable action set, and he, and he pulled the trigger on it. The dude spent like forty dollars. And that, that in guy, and of that itself, guy felt good. He felt that's good. a step in the right direction. Absolutely, you've actually they done something. Quantum leap in the right direction. That guy just put more things in motion that'll have influenced the next ten years of his career. And that was that was basically that was basically twenty minutes after the, the the goal setting workshop started. That's when everybody goes, "Oh shit, this is for real." And it is. I'm not saying the goal setting workshops are. I'm saying which they are, and the the act of writing things down and getting clear and taking a little bit of action. Because most of the time, it's 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 simple, small steps. Once we get past the the potential overwhelm of the the, the big idea, okay, mm-hmm. 
Get it written down on paper, chunk it down, break it down to small steps and pull some triggers, man. You know, whoa, man, take your pick. You know, send some emails, call some people, you know, research Airbnbs in, in Chile. Whatever you want, put an hour towards it. Whatever it is that you want, put an hour, just one hour. Watch what happens. It, it, it cuts people's existential anxiety by a lot. It's, it's horrible to, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, ing. You know, there's a reason that there's a saying that's cliche like that. That's a, that's a terrible place. That's, that's, a, that's a specific flavor of poison. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's most of the time, it's facilitated through the unconscious use of our language. People don't even know what hit them. Yep. Talk about being mindful. There's, there's so much out there now about mindfulness techniques and meditation and really just finding ways to get your own human brain back under control in a way that is productive for you and your health and your physiology and your psychology. Uh, Most people have lost control of the mechanism. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have the technique for that. We're really not taught that. We're not presence that. of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. Well, thankfully, we have you to teach us these things, and thankfully, we have vocabulary. I was actually interested to, um, I don't believe, maybe in Lifted was in existence the last time we talked, and maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure. Interested to hear more about that and, and what it offers. If it was in existence, it was brand new. So Barbell Shrugged, we go do Barbell Shrugged. January 20th, 2017, I walk in the gym and there's Mike Bledsoe. I'm like, I like that guy. He's cool. Let's be friends. Everybody knows that guy. guy. Let's be friends. He said the same thing to me. Like, cool. So we hung out every, we saw each other once a month for uh, the next year. And uh, we decided, hey man, let's do some workshops together. So we did. And uh, they went really well. We called them flow stated. I did the language. He did the breathing and the movement. And it helped people have smoother, better workouts because their mind was more focused. And because their mind was more focused, their breathing was, 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 was better. You know, uh, uh, a certain, certain kinds of stories facilitate good breathing mechanics. Good breathing mechanics facilitate good movement patterns. Good movement patterns you can put you can put you can safely get under load with good movement patterns. You can you can you can you can take the Ferrari out with good movement and breathing patterns. I mean, you know yeah. this. This is a really exciting concept for me. I am constantly finding myself frustrated with a lack of focus at the gym. Just like coming in with the baggage of whatever happened at work or, you know, through the day, stuff that's on my mind and just not being able to shut it off. I find myself distracted frequently during workouts. And I think there's a lot of people out there that can probably be, that can relate to that. Yeah, there are. There are. Uh, Those seminars go very well. I go to my business partner in Procabulary. I say, hey, dude. Let's make a course with Mike Bledsoe for the fitness industry. 
can make a mini course and just sell it on the side. So we get into it. We get into the scripting of it and recognize that we've got, uh, it's not a mini course. It's another course. It's another 21 lesson course. Same size, same thing as core language upgrade. Oh, and guess what? This isn't, this isn't a mini course. This isn't a regular course. This is a brand. And Lifted is a brand. This is a business. And uh, we had a soft launch at Paleo FX. And we've done three certifications so far. And this next Barbell Shrugged is, is the first uh, large-scale audience that we are putting it out to. And uh, people swear by it. And I don't, they, they swear by it because we're telling, the, we're telling the story of them in the gym. And we're doing it with a lot of humor, too. We made skits. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We made, uh, we built we a, a lot of, a lot of, it's just, it's funny. It's crap, man. People laugh, laugh and laugh at themselves and laugh at the fitness industry. And they stop doing dumb shit in the gym. Uh, also known as the things that lead to injury, like constant comparison and, um, mm. you know, um, you know, beating themselves up for, uh, a, a donut that they ate a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, no pain, no gain. We chop heads in that course. No pain. So no pain, no gain. Oh, really? That's brilliant. Is that, that, that's, that's it. That's the model. That's the lens. How about K N O pain, K N K N O W pain, K N O W pain, K N O W gain. Okay, because if you know what kind of pain, not pain is not pain is not pain, and if it's a stiff stiff shooting pain in my lower lumbar, and I get under load and work my front squats that day because you know no pain, you got to work through it, and I snap something up big time, then I'm out. Okay, if I know pain over the long term, I can know gain. If I could. I wish it, this is being one of those times will be cliche. I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody in the military should have taken a break, should have gone to see a physical therapist, should have backed off and pushed through anyway, because it's the culture. In some ways it's changing, changing. And I think in some circles in particular, like the special operations community, there's a lot more focus on human, human performance enhancement that is a lot more nuanced and detailed and, and deliberate than just we're going to go exercise till we vomit today. That's something we talked about on the Elizabeth Darksh podcast, the last episode, but uh, that, and you know, just this idea that you have to project this image of being the toughest, undefeatable, the toughest, the bravest, yeah. the strongest, whatever, because if to you the don't, extent that it's yeah, because if you don't, it's the, detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if, if yeah. you, it's not, it's not that it's detrimental. If if you don't, then you're a pussy. Yep. You know, and you're basically, and you're weak. Okay. Uh, I, we we love that one. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Did you sleep last night? Well, yeah. Then guess what? You're gonna sleep when you need to sleep. And if you don't sleep very well, show me someone who's who's performing optimally who has has been sleeping terribly for the last six months. Mm-hmm. I'll show you someone who's on the edge. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. it, it turns, turns out that, you know, actually great sleep leads to great performance in the gym and great performance everywhere else. Mm-hmm. I'll sleep when I'm down. I was like, oh, come on. 
Did someone actually say that to you? Yeah. Or oh my I, I, god, someone said it to me in college, uh, and it's it, we we we've we we put that we built a lesson around that. Yeah. Well, I will say just for the benefit of the audience that has seen my apparel online, rest is for the dead implies that you're not going to give up on the grind, right? That we're going to continue pursuing our goals relentlessly, not necessarily that you should never sleep. I would never, ever endorse that. Yeah. Sleep is good. Take a nap sometimes, people. It's okay. Sleep sleep is your friend. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah, sleep is your friend. Um, And so, yeah, we, we took the vocabulary lens and the tech and focused on the, the fitness industry and made a uh, another course that people now swear by. It, uh, I'm very interested to see what this is going to do when we officially put it out in the wild, which is, you know, we're a few days away from that. Really? I was yeah. just about to ask where I can find this so I can take the course. Enlifted.me. Dot me. Okay. It's $147. You get lifetime access to the course. The first lesson that you take, Road to Hell Motivators, that's worth the price of admission just right there. And then you got 20 extra awesome lessons afterwards. It, it, will, it, will, it, will, it will, it'll help you create a, a pro-level mindset. And that doesn't mean go hard or go home. It means go hard when you need to. Upregulate get the job done, perform well, and then, and then back off. So people, you know, um, mental toughness, that's the, usually the extent of people's mindset training. Okay. Uh, good. It, it, it's, it's, well, it's not even good depending on what you're doing. If you're spec ops or you're a competitive athlete, you have to have that gear. Okay. And keyword gear. Which implies there are other gears. Which implies there are other gears. Mm -hmm. What if I take my car on the highway in first gear? You're not going very far, that's for sure. I'm going to blow a gasket. Okay? What if I take my car out on the Autobahn and and I've got got access to all five gears? And then on some country roads and then it, I can, I enjoy it. It's fun. You know, I, I'm, all this stuff that I'm talking to you about is stuff that, dumb stuff I've done. I redlined myself. I would wake up in the morning, hit uh, two pre-workouts, go straight to the gym, redline, barely warming up, never a cool down. Okay. And the only time, the only days off I took were when I was hungover and it would have to be a bad hangover. No wonder I broke. Horrible approach. Okay. And that was fueled by my insecurities. I think this is going to be Not rocket science. Yeah, this this enlifted thing I think is going to be a game changer for the industry for a couple reasons, but primarily the fact that people want access to that world-class treatment and they want access to that world-class coaching and that world-class physical therapy, whatever it is, we're getting to a day and age where it is becoming easier and easier for the lay person to find those things for human optimization to make their lives better. And it's, you know, it's, it's always blown my mind that there is, 
there's medical care out there for world-class athletes that, you know, go to the Olympics or play professional football and they have access to the best orthopedic surgeons and doctors and, and mindset coaches. And you look at that and say, why can't I have that too? You know, military service members have such a hard time sometimes accessing other medical providers, for example, or like genuine world-class support. And the more that this kind of thing becomes accessible to people living a regular ass life, right? Not famous rock stars. The more that I think we kind of move humanity and generally our perceptions of the world in, in the right direction, knowing how to self-regulate, knowing how to self-manage, having a particular degree of focus with no distractions in the gym, all these things like play into just making better people overall. And I think that kind of thing is kind of infectious. You know, when, when functional fitness took off as hard as it did, it was infectious because it worked. And I think that this is going to be the, I hope it is the case anyway. That That's soft talk though, isn't it? It will be. It'll be infectious. Thank you. We have, uh, we're, we are, we're confident in, in Enlifted. We're excited about Enlifted. To use a very overused word, you know, everybody's excited about every freaking thing. We're, we're legitimately stoked about this. And what it does is it help, helps people take better care of themselves. Okay. And it helps them put the horse in front of the cart, which is themselves. People put their workouts before themselves. Working out, fitness is, it is a piece of a self-care, self-development program. It is not the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sleep is part of that conversation. Diet's part of that conversation. The fitness is part of that conversation. Uh, uh, laughter is part of that conversation. You know, adventure is part of that conversation. Symbiotic relationships is part of that conversation. Healthy relationship with finances is part of that conversation. Building community is part of that conversation. It's the whole picture. Yeah. And most people's language makes putting all those pieces together fucking almost impossible. Okay. And there's a way to use your language to put those pieces together and keep them together. And once you do that for yourself, then you become a pillar in your community. And that feels good. You have to get all Jordan Peterson about it, it gives you meaning. Mm-hmm. And and you know, connect connection, connection to community. People feel disconnected. All kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. You know, from addiction to suicides to just just codependence and uh, abuse and self abuse. Yeah. Yep. And this is a, it's a heavy ish part of the conversation, and it's also great news. Okay. Because anybody can take out some coulds and thinks and I guesses, and anybody can go from saying you know. He he made me think we needed to get married. To no wait a minute. Whoa, hold on. I made me think we need thought think we needed to get married. Yeah, that was totally me. Of course, I'm the one that said it. I'm the one that said, you know, uh, I don't want any, anyone else to have him. I told myself that story. He, he didn't make me. I yeah. Okay, cool, great. Anybody can go from saying, you know, I, I don't I don't want to mess this 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 workout up, 
right? You know, I, I, I don't want to keep shortchanging myself on my warm-ups, something along this, those lines, okay? To, I do want to warm up well. Good. It's a great idea. I promise myself that I'm going to get to the gym 15 minutes early for the next week because that's all I have to do. If I just do this for the next week, if I warm up well for the next week of workouts, then I will have made progress and progress is good. And you see how the, that one sentence takes me off in a conversation about me solving problems? Let me say it another way. Most people's language creates problems. We teach people how to use their language to solve problems. That's vocabulary. That's for the general audience. In fitness, most most people's language in their in their fitness lives in the gym it creates problems. Relentlessly comparing people to them, themselves, I and mean, that's just one example. Okay, mm-hmm. shit talking themselves through a workout. You know, we we say stuff to ourselves in a workout that we wouldn't say to a dog, and we sure as crap wouldn't let anybody say it to our nieces and nephews and sons and daughters, mothers. We, if somebody said what we say to ourselves to our loved ones, it would be the the nine millimeters would come out. It's like it's that serious. But we'll say it to ourselves, you know, so I can get a couple extra pounds on this lift. Yeah, okay, yes, I did hit my PR, but I practiced hating myself in the process. Okay, and what's going to happen when I walk out the gym? Like, how does that affect my face? How does that affect my breathing? Like, I've just I've just repped self deprecation. And what we're betting money on is that there's a whole layer, level. There's gears in a, in a human being that are way yet to be explored. And I don't think negation acknowledged, negation and soft talk acknowledged. I don't think we're going to do it in super upregulated stress states. I think I, 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 think I, I am comfortable in, in that we will – that there's a lot more to human beings than we know. And it's in the down-regulated states. Okay, it's in more connectivity in our synaptic networks and in the and in the brain gut connection and higher vagal tone. You want to look up something interesting? Look up vagal tone. Okay, the vagus nerve. When someone's in an upregulated, stressed state, they have low vagal tone. They get sick a lot. They get offended a lot. Okay, they recover poorly. Their poops are off. They don't sleep well. When someone has a high vagal tone, they're breathing well in their abdomen, known as rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system response. When someone has high vagal tone, okay, they shrug things off. Like, oh, yeah, big deal. Okay, they don't get sick all that often. They stay focused on what matters to them. That's the elevator pitch for vocabulary. It is a productivity tool that helps you organize what you think and say so you stay focused on what matters to you. Also known as being successful. In some seminars, I ask people, write down the attributes of the most successful people that you know. And they do. And no one ever writes down scatterbrained and, and easily distracted. Mm-hmm. Or self-deprecating and Terrible doubtful. Terrible listeners. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Never takes action. Stressed. Mm-hmm. Gossiping all the time. No one ever – I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just they're – the more and more simple, digestible – conversations that we have of this nature that also give people a way to practice this stuff. When we talk about the words, 
what words to use less of and what words to use more of, we make the conversation of building our mindset practical. When we only have the big picture thinking of be more tough, gut through it, you know, try to have a good attitude, just be more positive. If I don't have the words to support that, then it crumbles. It, it, do, it does not hold up under stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I can't, I can't practice it. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's if we visualize it as a bridge, taking the first step onto the bridge across the river that's dividing you from what it is that you want, what your goal is, employing language that makes those goals concrete is is that first step, I think. And um, I'm excited to check out this Enlifted program when it, you said it launches in a couple days, uh, just because it's I think... It's up now. The, the okay. Shrugged podcast launches in a couple of days. Every, you can gotcha, go to gotcha. lift.me right now. Check it out. Excellent. I'll definitely do that. I wanted to ask one last question before we wrap it up. And I, I ask this question a lot just mainly because we stay committed to one particular population out there. We're looking to help female military athletes meet their goals. But that said, there are a lot of listeners that are just interested to learn and and be here and want to hear what you have to say. So in terms of goal setting, acknowledging everything we discussed a little while ago, what's what's a piece of advice that you think would be kind of all encompassing, you know, something that you've seen repeatedly in your clients, or perhaps is just a common tendency in terms of getting goal setting wrong? What can we do better as a first step for everybody listening? It's it's the it goes back to that that first part of the conversation. Write the thing down. Pick up that five hundred pound pen, even if it scares the crap out of you, and write it down. Write it down. Write it down conversationally. Add in numbers. Okay, and here's a, here's something else that we did not discuss. Say it out loud. See how scary it is. Okay? That right there is enough to get people going. And and yes. And then write down the steps. Just some action that you can take. If you take three or four steps, then you've got so much more momentum, more momentum than someone who hasn't written anything down at all because they're too whatever. Say the thing out loud and take a big breath in. And say the thing out loud again. And take a big breath in. Say the thing out loud. And breathe. What that is doing is it's socializing the idea in your mind-body connection. You are literally taking it to heart. Embodying a concept. And you will become to some degree, a little more certain or maybe a lot more certain that you can do something. And certainty is an extremely rare emotion, energy for someone to create. It opens doors. People know it when someone walks in the room, they've got some certainty. Everybody looks. You might not know what you're looking at, but you're like, that's different. Okay. And a lot of that comes, a lot of that, the certainty and, and being comfortable, okay, they go hand in hand. So I highly recommend changing some words up. I highly recommend 
breathing more deeply and smoothly, I highly recommend writing things down that are interesting to you that you know would add value to your life. And, you know, we're talking about, I, I did uh, a Vertforce podcast. Are you familiar with them? I'm not, actually. Okay. They, uh, they, it's for military spouses. Interesting. Yeah. I did her podcast last week. And, you know, she said a lot of our listeners want to be more supportive. Wonderful. The one way that you are more supportive, the first and the first way that anyone is more supportive is with their words, whether it's the words they think to themselves or the words in order to in order to take supportive action, I have to tell myself a supporting story. You want to be more supportive to someone? You want to be more supportive to someone? Use more supporting language. And if you want to use more supporting supportive language, then you have to learn about the conflict language. You have to learn about the, the conflict stories. And when you learn about those, you learn about the architect language and the architect stories. Um, there's, there's a big difference between you should mow the lawn tomorrow and I need you to mow the lawn tomorrow, please. Or will you please? Night and day. Ask for what you need in an affirmative way. Yeah. a lot of heartache. Smile, go over, give them a hug. Even if it's, you know, it's a, uh, here it is another way to say it. It's a more, it's just a more fun way to live. Tell yourself better stories about yourself and watch what happens to your family. Tell yourself better stories about yourself. Tell yourself better stories about yourself to yourself. And watch what happens to your community. Watch what happens to your workouts. Watch what happens. You'll laugh more. You'll have more fun. You'll be more funny. Okay? And that right there, having a a lighthearted sense of humor, I'll take that over someone trying to do something for me 90% 90 of the time. Have Have a moment. Have some more fun. Human connection. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to transactional relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Can always be more of those in the world we live in today. Yes, there can. Yes, there can. With that, Mark, I think we've covered a lot of material today. I think we talked for almost two hours. This was amazing. We did. It was fun. I feel like every time I walk away, I've learned something. And every time I talk to you, even like even on text messenger to set up this podcast, every time I think of Mark England, I'm like, Am I using any soft words when I talk to him? And it makes me more aware. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I do the I do the same thing too because vocabulary is a practice. It's totally a mm-hmm. practice. I take I take the soft talk out of my thoughts. You know, I take the soft talk out of my my language. I mean, it's the best thing I ever done for myself. There, I said it. It's the very best thing I've ever done for myself is to make a couple of changes in my word choice. Stabilize those, make a couple of others. Uh, and and I, I used to, Meg, I used to not like myself. I did not enjoy being me. And now I do a lot more. And a lot more is good enough. Mm-hmm. And you know where to find me. 
next time you want to have a conversation, a podcast, do a show about presenting, how, how the amateurs present and how the pros present. I'm excited I, about I'm very, this one. I'm very down for it. I think we've, there's a lot of people that could benefit from that conversation. and Big time. One good talk will change somebody's professional career. Here it is. You never know who's in the audience. Mm-hmm. Or who in the audience can tell someone else about you that has the power to change your life. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. I've lived that one before. Most of the time, it's a good thing. But sometimes, if you get it wrong, it's a bad thing. That's the beauty of it, though. You get it's, it's, it's you got to roll the dice. Keeps everything. Yep. Keeps keep, keeps people on their toes. It's the people it that sure don't does. take risks. You know, just gonna I'm just gonna play it safe forever. Would you mm. read that book? Would you watch that movie? No fun. Zilch. Everything you want is on the other side of your comfort zone. I'm a strong believer in that. Yeah, and we need to take some L's. You know, we, mm-hmm. pe- people need some people need to get roughed up a little bit sometimes. You know. With a, with a loss or two get in an argument you know have somebody offend you and then then talk yourself out of it grow from it it's good it's like you know the imagine of someone who's never gone outside okay never been subjected to any kind of you know, adversity that's that's a scary thought and those people are out there they're out there they're out there they're out there Hopefully, if they're listening, they're going to go check out Procabulary and Enlifted.me right now. And we'll be sure to put it in the show notes as well. Be sure to link everything. I want to say thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to doing the next one. I do too, Meg. And as always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shoutouts, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as Valkyrie Project US, so be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.